0: We really think European butter from France is the best butter. And our friend, the expert baker and best-selling cookbook author David Levovitz agrees. Check out our recent episode with David to find out how he cooks with quality butter. And for recipes, tips, and cooking advice, go to tasteeurope.com. The biggest difference that I find is that Korean-American food, it's kind of the food that's served in Korean restaurants in America. And the dishes that are more popular here are not necessarily dishes that are really popular back home. I think I've had better sundubu in America yeah. than versus Korea.
1: This is Taste. I'm your host, Matt Rodbard. Here are two classic conversations from This is Taste. Tina Choi is the soul-based genius behind one of my favorite food YouTubes around, Doobie Doobop. Pierce Abernathy is a trained cook, a big-time TikTok and Instagram creator, and he's been known to model a bit too. These are two of my favorite recent conversations, and I hope you enjoy them. This is your first live in-studio podcast, which is crazy to me because you record so much.
0: Yes, it is. Um, most of the interviews that I've done has been over Zoom because I live in Korea and it was COVID. It was weird times, but I like this. I love the setup. It's so professional.
1: <laughs> it feels right. I mean, we'll get into why I love Doobie Bop so much, your persona, your vlog. I hate that word, but it says something specifically. But I've known about you for a long time from TikTok, and I love so much about what you do as a creator. I mean, I like that you're telling us about Soul City. I love visiting, and we'll talk about that as well. But you also are really good at cooking. You're so good.
0: I'm really not, but thank you. I'm honored. I'm very, like, I'm blushing so hard, which is such a shame to not be able to see on a podcast setting. But yes, I'm very, very flattered. Thank you for saying those things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to ask you, what makes a really great Doobie Doobop video? Uh, I'm talking about the long form, not the not the TikTok cuts. But, you know, you go, sometimes as long as 30 minutes, and you talk about how you're feeling. It's really really, really important, and I just wanted to get, like, how do you think about creating these videos?
0: Vlogs, for me, is a bit of a glimpse into my life, so it I try and keep it very raw and real. If, you know, the short-form content is something that I curate and I have the stories kind of written now, it's edited, I record it over and over so that it's hmm. 59.9 seconds <laughs> for YouTube shorts, um, vlogs, for me, is, like, a place where I can be creative and really start experimenting, I feel like vlogs were a baby that, you know, I didn't think that it was going to survive, but it survived and it's healthy and it's just forever going to be my treasure. So it's definitely like my most prized, I guess, creation Mm. and something that's the most um, real
1: yeah. And, and how, like, when did you know you had a thing? Like, when did you know, like, this was viable? Like, was there a, a theme or topic that you covered in, in an episode that you're like, wow, this really is resonating?
0: Hmm, I think that's kind of difficult because um, uh, it's difficult for me to answer because I never knew when it was really viable like even like two three months ago uh i wasn't sure i'm always a bit anxious like oh i don't even know if this is a real job (laughs) you know both even my parents also they were apprehensive even now um but i think for me it was um i knew it was kind of viable when uh I started getting really like consistent views obviously um good feedback and especially when I was like walking around New York and people started recognizing me and I would be like
2: <laughs> that's like, crazy
0: you know, me? and I would get super shy um I think it was just some of those indicators that like showed me that okay this is actually something like this is a job for me like yeah. for me it was always like a means of getting a job and that's how I started but um yeah Sometime along there, it transformed into full-time.
1: Well, it's interesting. You've hired an employee. You've blogged about this. And you you have um, a, cl- a clear studio mentality. You're creating um, content for yourself and maybe brands. Um, but I wanted to go back because you are not—this is not just you. Like, you have a whole life beyond the vlog. And it goes back to attending Cornell University. You studied food science. And, like, honestly, I've never had a food scientist on the show but I uh, when I went to the University of Wisconsin, that was my major going into school was food science. OK. Um, I realized soon after the first week of Chem 103 that I was terrible at science. Like I, I had no idea I, my education in high school was bad. But tell me, what, what is food science like at Cornell and what did you learn? And maybe how did this get you thinking about food in a different way?
0: I think for food science, there's really like three ways, like three um, paths, I would say. So there's like food science, food science, you <laughs> know, the latter half written in uh, italics. <laughs> um, and it's really delving into the more sciencey part of it. It's, you know, working in labs, um, the molecular uh, stuff behind it, like bio, a lot of physics also, um, also the mechanisms that are related with creating food um, and more of like the engineering aspect of it. And then there's food science safety. That's making sure that everything you're eating, everything you're grabbing from the grocery store is shelf stable and safe and, you know, there's no pathogens so that everyone's happy consuming it. And then there's food science business, um, which is the more entrepreneurial side, you know, food startups, um, kind of looking into more consulting aspects of it, how a food would be integrated in a grocery store setting, you know, emerging into a CPG um that whole stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, I've always been more interested in the food science business part of it. I My biggest dream was to have a little stall in Union Square Farmer's Market and maybe sell my own kimchi. Like that was been, that was my biggest dream.
1: Wow. I when was, you were up in Cornell, you yes. were coming down to New York and you were like, this is my future. And like, this is like, you know, a, a few years back when kimchi and Korean food, we'll get into the rise of Korean food in our culture in America. But like it wasn't as big, right? It was kind of more of a niche thing in a way.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, like, even so I lived in Canada when I was very very young from third grade to fifth grade and like back then I was like the only Asian kid in my school and we had packed lunches so very much um, a lot of uh, what Asian Americans have felt it was very like nerve wracking for me to always open the lunchbox. Um, but now it's like totally different like Squid Game really like <laughs> helped us I'll, I'll ride that wave thank you Blackpink
1: and uh, Squid Game Um, but at Cornell back to your, your- your career there and your time there, when you were studying the business aspect, you were also, were you learning to cook? Like, was this something that you were starting to put the the pieces together to become a a cook that was beyond just, like, a home cook? Uh,
0: to be honest, no. Uh-huh. Um, There was no really, like, there was not really, like, a cooking aspect of it. If anything, I felt more disconnected from food. Like, I saw food as more of as a chemistry or a biological aspect uh, like biology aspect of it than actually seeing it as an art and i think that's also part of the reason why i got so drawn into the art side of it mm-hmm. i cooked during my free time i've always been fascinated with cooking since high school and from an early age I think I just always loved food, like just eating it more than cooking it. Um, and I still am. I still think that I'm a much better eater and a gourmet than I am a cook.
1: Yeah, I think that's most of us. My hand is like raised in the air with that one. Now, you were at boarding school in Connecticut, and you've, you've written about the fact that you could not find Korean food in your town. So you started cooking in your room, your dorm. What were some of the dishes? Were there a few that you were trying to really master during boarding school?
0: Every week, I would get together all my friends and we would chip in a certain amount and I would cook for my friends but honestly they were kind of my guinea pigs at that point um I semi forced them you know for the sake of our friendship you need to have my like cooking like you need yeah. to like this um nothing from then that I'm very proud of like a lot of it was just um kind of learning how to cook it was also just like learning how to host as well and all the different aspects involved with cooking like plating you know Or... The different temperatures of food was not something that I like thought about. I remember one incident where I was making like kimchi burgers and I put the buns in the oven thinking, oh, it's going to warm up the buns. No, it was super crusty. Like, Hard crouton. as a rock. It was yeah. like, two croutons and a kimchi <laughs> and like not so melted American cheese on top. And like people did not look happy. Yeah. That this is what $10 um, amounted to.
1: So you were um, cooking, were you cooking ichiges? Or were you doing any kind of large jungles, any large pots in your dorm room too?
0: I did, but I got way too many complaints from my neighbors, and I was using the common room kitchen as well. Yeah. So, at some point, you know, uh, we had a very uncomfortable dorm meeting. You know, there's some people cooking a lot in the dorm oh, rooms. some you know, people, know, they're, people, like, looking not
1: at you. Yeah, they're, like, looking around. No, oh,
0: I God. was literally just, you know, biting my nails, just, like, looking Ugh. to the side. and like, Not me, right? Um, so, after that, I tried to keep it a bit more contained. Um, so, more small bites and, like, cold food um, that still didn't stop me from like loving
1: cooking how'd that make you feel i mean having this dorm meeting and having folks like look at you in a different way because of the f- smell or whatever you're if you cooking your, your food of your home like how did that make you feel
0: i think that's when i it, obviously, I was a bit self-conscious, but in a way, I was also very like, you know what? I don't care. This nice. is my food. Um, and that's kind of my mentality for like, don't yuck my yum, which was the catchphrase that I ran with TikTok in the beginning. Like that has really set in. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. like when I was younger and a bit more insecure about my food, I would hide. But now like I mm-hmm. am proud, loud and proud. So No,
1: and I, I get that from Every fiber of your being on the vlogs. I think that you're extremely proud and you're extremely skilled and I just wanted to know about your background because it seems like you've grown and, and you've grown into this kind of role as like a real influencer for Korean food in the world.
0: Yeah, it's still very surreal to me. I still don't consider myself a great cook. I think there's so many people who cook much better than I do but what I do best is just like a mixture of all these things um, like I'm uh, I can edit, I can shoot, I can yeah. talk a little bit, uh, hopefully. Um, but um, talk about
1: Costco, do yeah, your makeup. I, I mean, there's so many <laughs> cool things.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's something that I'm still getting used to. I'm not 100% like, comfortable, to be honest. Like, there are times where I feel like, oh, like, am I doing really a good job of representing it? This is food that I like, but it does it's not representative of like the most authentic cuisine because I spent half my life in the u.s as well so it is very much like a me cuisine but i wouldn't say it's a korean cuisine per se yeah
1: well i see your food cooked like in my feed i see people tagging you in my life like you know my friends i i see you tag like honestly and um i really appreciate that you're you're identifying this as your cuisine and i'm interested um and let's get into this conversation now i want to i want to know korean food in america korean american cuisine versus korea korea cuisine Mm -hmm. it's a topic i think about a lot in the books i work with with dookie Hong, on but i'd love to get your take about the difference between the two
0: yeah it's um i think the biggest difference that i find is that korean american food it's kind of the food that's served in korean restaurants in america and the dishes that are more popular here are not necessarily dishes that are really popular back home like sundubu for example is i think a great example yes very popular in korea but not as popular as it is in new york city for bcd tofu house yeah. it's not really a hip food that like young people go <laughs> for it's a very much an ajossi food and ajossi is like an old man food mm-hmm. it's what you go grab um during lunch bake lunch break really quickly during winter because um, it's warm and um, you know spicy but not really something that people eat on a regular eye. I- think i've had better sundubu in america yeah. than versus korea like hands down oh me
1: too i, I think uh, bcd in la and new york i like Chodongol, they do great sundubu
0: amazing um, i love cdg with the burning passion it's
1: really great and um i just was there last weekend with my family i have to ask um is there a dish that that is like popping in korea that maybe hasn't hit here i mean we're in the book korea world we have a whole section we're trying to like answer this question but for you what's the reverse
0: I'm trying to think. I think it's a, lo- a lot of the uh, more interesting combinations that are, like, like cafe culture, I yeah. would say, is, like, huge Holy. in Korea. So cafe culture in Korea is, like, all about excess. It's overindulgent. It's a lot of butter. And I think another thing that um, uh, when people are visiting, they're surprised about is Korea's love for butter. Like, we... Um, I use this quote that was used in Bon Appetit a while back, but um, I think Carla Lolli Music said this but butter is the best cheese. And that's exactly how Korean people feel right now. Like mm-hmm. it's butter with red bean filling on pretzels, and it's called angboto. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's probably like the food to get and there's just butter in everything right now like we it feels like we almost just discovered it like (laughs) cultured butter like sweet cream butter like Korea's really opening up to butter.
1: Really interesting observation Tina and I I, I agree my time in in Korea you you think okay like dairy free you think the typical East Asian um, palate and not having a lot of dairy but it's in Korea it's on its head I mean absolutely you see it everywhere same with the corn dog and I think that's an American food that has been exported to Korea, but then reinvented in the most incredible. Dude, it's like crazy. The corn (laughs) dogs in Korea.
0: Yeah. And there's ones that are like just squid ink covered with um, a cross section on the hot dog itself. So when it drops in the oil, it like spreads like octopus legs. Like it's very, very creative. Um, Like there's also like powdered cheese on top. It's it's a lot. I love it personally.
1: I, I am not as in love with it just for me i'm just like i personally it, it's not hitting me hard for me i'm i'm like it, more into like the deep bench of um classic dishes like i'm more into like the tongues of the world okay like that that to me is like what really strikes like as a food writer and just as a fan like these old school chigae and and tangs and like to me that's like exciting mm-hmm. i don't i mean that's just that's where i kind of look at it but i'm certainly not korean so i i don't I have a different gaze
0: i think i like both a lot like for me it's divided into so those kinds of like kamjatang, the ajashi food that I say um, is what I crave probably like the day after I drink like I need a good soup hangover soup to really just like cleanse me and I need to be like a little sweaty in the morning just so that you know the toxins go out this is not scientific info <laughs> like <laughs> do not quote me on it but I feel like it c- cures my hangover but the corn dogs it's like a guilty indulgence for me like it's what I crave when um you know I just want to feel a little bit nostalgic it's I just have really good memories like after school I would go across the street and order like the corn dogs and the stringy mozzarella and um there's also this thing called uh uh, fried Pikachus, which is tonkatsu that's really thinly battered. Like, we don't oh, know. Oh, yeah, that sounds amazing. Yeah, we don't know what the meat inside is. Like, I still don't know, but it was like around 50 cents or a dollar for like the nicer places. And it would be smothered in um, gochujang, sweet and sour gochujang sauce. And like, those are reminiscent foods for me. So I like both. I don't know. As much as I like that OG mm-hmm. Korean food, I also love like the junky, like kitschy mm-hmm. aspect of it.
1: Pizza. Is there good pizza in Seoul? I've asked a few folks. I think you know this answer. There's got to be—well, I'm leading the witness. Is there good pizza in Seoul?
0: I think that you can find one of the best pizzas in Seoul. Wow. Yeah. Where? But it's really different types of pizza. Like, there's obviously, like, Korean-style pizza, which is a bit thicker. The toppings goes back to kind of overindulgent toppings. um, Like, with the sweet potato fillings and, like, the cheese crusts. It's a lot, but sometimes it hits. You know? Is sometimes. there a name? Is
1: there a pizzeria that you, I like in Japan? There's incredible Neapolitan style pizza, like Savoy and other mm-hmm. places like that, are doing incredible pizzas. Mm-hmm. But I've not encountered it in Seoul. But I know, or in Korea, I know it's there.
0: Mm-hmm. Jackson Pizza, I would say it's like the food that I would order in, and they Greek Greekology pizza. It's Yo. with uh, zucchini, eggplant, um, bell peppers, I think, and onions. I know it doesn't sound that good, but it's different and it's really good. And I, you also just don't feel like, oh, like I'm eating a pizza. I'm eating a pizza. Like you're getting a few veggies in, so it, it might be also like a mental thing as well. But definitely like something that I always like crave at, on a night out. Even
1: I'm gonna check this out. I'm I'm going to Korea as we're recording this in a few in a few days, and we'll we'll get into that. Um, I I have to I have to ask you: Are you down with? some of the other YouTube creators. I mean, I I love um, Wongi. I love uh, Yummy Boy, uh, Sung-yuk. I think that's how I pronounce sung mm-hmm. Is that, are you part of a community of creators?
0: I'm going to be honest. I've been a little bit antisocial. It's also interesting because, like, most of the creators that I know are America-based creators. So, um... Yeah, like, I know all the L.A.-based creators Mm -hmm. and the New York-based, like, food creators. But also, like, on the flip side, like, Korean creators don't really know about me. Like, most of my audience is actually U.S.-based or U.K. and, like, anywhere that speaks English. So, I, yeah, I don't really um, come come in contact. Like, nobody has contacted me. That's really (laughs) interesting.
1: So, do you roll in Seoul pretty anonymously then? Like, relatively anonymously?
0: Yeah, I would say I am much less recognized in Korea than I am in New York. Um, like I even got recognized more while I was in Italy versus in Korea So it's a bit interesting Because um, yeah, all my content is in English So um, it's a very different market Like my YouTube analytics, if you look at it, it's like 0.1% Korea
1: That's really interesting It's
0: very, very, uh, it's like far down in the bottom, yeah
1: From a business strategy, I'm curious Have you thought about doing some Korean language videos Or is that something that you're not quite ready to do?
0: So I did do subtitles for a while, and my written Korean I would say is okay. Like, yeah, I feel like I've watched the right amount of Korean entertainment shows where I can like use slang and be a, a little mm-hmm. bit hip, but not like a hundred percent. I did try, but I realize it's not like what I'm the most comfortable at. And some of the jokes yeah. that I make are <laughs> very like punny and based on American humor. I grew up watching mostly Disney Channel. Um, because my mom wanted my English to be good. So I have all these, like, American pop references, but I don't have them for Korea. So I found myself pretty, like, uh, yeah, not being able to really be the best at telling the jokes that I like to tell in Korean. So we'll see from now on. Like, if I get another, um, if I get a Korean subtitler who is, like, well-versed in both, then we'll see.
1: You're I buried the lead when in Tringy. You're, you're, like, funny as fuck, dude. No. You're really oh. hilarious. No, I oh. mean it. Like, you are you have punchlines, you, you have great time, comedic timing, you clearly have a future in acting, and I think there's definitely some vibe there that kind of would translate. Um, are you a fan of any American comedies or uh or cooking shows like what about american cooking shows growing up
0: i think food network was one thing that i watched all the time alton brown has been a very very influential figure for me um i would have his like good eats series on all the time so and i good. think that's where my like interest for food science really sparked because um, it was the first cooking show where it wasn't um, a basic instructional uh, cooking show, but more going into the science behind it. Like, I loved science when I was growing up. Bill Nye also. Oh, um, yeah.
1: Shout out Bill Nye the Science Guy. Yeah.
0: Also a Cornell grad. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, so Alton Brown was definitely someone that I absolutely loved um, watching growing up and obviously Ina Garten as well. Yeah. Um what else? I'm trying to think. But a lot of YouTube, I would say. Like, my generation, I would say I watched a lot of Munchies growing up. Like, Vice. Uh, mm-hmm. The more, um, like, the YouTube shows as mm-hmm. well. So it was a good mix of
1: both. Like, Chef's Night Out. Yes. Great show. Obviously. Yeah, Chef's Night Out, especially the early days, uh, will go down as, like, real classic. Like, classic food TV. And mm-hmm. I think it doesn't get as much respect because it's, like, YouTube. But anyone who's, like, read anything in a trade or, like, is looking with like has two eyes open YouTube is the future of entertainment Mm -hmm. like clearly I
0: agree Yeah. And for me, like another person that I forgot to say um, was Eddie Huang, was someone that um, when I first watched him, I was like, wow, this is like an Asian American um, personality that hasn't really been shown before. And he was going around like showing like New York classics, especially like Chinatown and the way he writes as well. Like I love his writing style and it's very personal, um, very like dialogue driven and i love that um i think that was like one of the shows that also like made me realize wow like cooking uh tv cooking shows can have like Different people and like also people from like so many different backgrounds. So that was something that like really kind of you know uh, had uh, light bulbs going off in yeah. my brain. I was like, wow, this is this is crazy. This is so great. Like
1: such a great shout out to Eddie Wong. I think Double Cup Love is like such an underrated um, memoir. Um, it's his story about living in Chengdu, and there's some love, love and loss in in it. And um, Eddie is a real one of one, and I just I love his work too. We share that love. Oh Cornell, I have to ask you, Moosewood, like, would you did you go there? Is that like a place that you go? I I wonder because I know the books. Mm -hmm. I rarely make it up to up there, up to Ithaca, so I I don't know. Is that do you go there?
0: Not really. I don't think it, I like the it's not one of the places that I remember, um, to be completely honest.
1: Moosewood not making it into the younger generation. No, it's I mean the the, 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 the books are, are legendary and we you know that we published all the books at 10 speed, but um yeah, I have to get up there. It's it's they were like one of the preeminent vegetarian restaurants mm-hmm. in American like the eighties and seventies.
0: Yeah, no, I remember where it is. It's kind of like in the center of Ithaca, like more yeah. closer down. Like, it's down the hill. So anything down the hill, like, you know, going down is fine. But then we know that going up is kind mm-hmm. of, you know, it's tough. So I would rarely make it down the hill.
1: No, I, I know. <laughs> I, I, as, a, as somebody who went to school in a, in a great town that was outside of college, I didn't really go to the outside of college part of Madison, Wisconsin. So I know what you're saying.
0: Yeah. I think we always went to, like, the more grimy places, Um, like Ithaca. I think it was called – um, Wings Over Ithaca, you yeah. know, that was, like, I would go to the college spots, like, when I was there. There's actually, surprisingly, so many Korean restaurants in um, in the college town, um, uh, in the Cornell college town. I think there's, like, three or four. Wow. It's crazy. There's Coco's, which I waitressed, like, part-time. Oh, cool. Um, and then there is this... Um, place like for more for like fast food per se and then there is another one called four seasons that i and i think a fried chicken place also open. and there's also amazing um ka- like korean style karaoke and bar food place as well um that's a little bit far further out but it's crazy like there's so much korean that's food cool. um and also like pretty good as y- well
1: pretty good like
0: not like Right. But yeah, you know, yeah. pretty good. Decent. You know, it's decent. Good
1: for a college town upstate New York. Um, so I'm heading to Seoul. I wanna know like I love walking around like Songsu, Itaewon. I'm trying to wrap my head around Ujuro and like what's going on there, mm-hmm. like the dying those dying shops, like front mm-hmm. shops. But in general, why should we listeners visit Seoul right now?
0: You should visit Seoul because there's no city like it. It's kind of like one—what surprises many people when they first visit Seoul is how big it is. There's also so many people, and it spreads so large. Mm -hmm. The Han River cuts through the middle of it. The food scene, like from one end to another, is just so diverse and you could walk 10 minutes and just go into a completely different part of town like you'll see skys- skyscrapers but then you walk 10 minutes and you see like the old traditional markets you can see a high-end michelin star restaurants but you can also see the very run down you know run by old couple yeah no pose um, that are just really old school joints as well and In a weird way, it harmonizes, and I think there's really no place like it. So
1: well said, Tina. I mean, there is a harmony between the old and new. There's a great turnover every three to five years. I've been lucky to go several times, and it's unrecognizable in certain spots. Is there like a neighborhood or two that you can mention? I mentioned a few, but that you would recommend we go to?
0: I think Uchiro is definitely one of my favorite places to visit because also because um, we know that it's going to be gone in a few years. It's going to be all torn down for um, development in a few years. So I feel like it's one of those places that are fleeting. Like if you if you go now, it's really now or never. And um on top of the great food, you can see that it's also very industrialized as well. But there's also a lot of young people opening restaurants and bars. And now it's kind of taken up by the young community as mm-hmm. well. It's kind of cool to go to these old school joints. And we call 을지로 <laughs> Hip Jiro, yeah, uh, kind of as a mixture of like it's yeah. hip and then Ujiro. It's
1: a cool neighborhood, especially mm-hmm. like the, at night, like the, the open streets and like some of the the stalls there. I mean, to me, having been only a couple times, it, it reminds me of like Williamsburg in like the early two thousands. I feel the old and new, but we know that it's go- like or Bushwick in two thousand five. We know it's gonna be gone in mm-hmm. in, in a moment, and like we never we didn't actually know that in New York when like in two thousand five it was gonna go. But Ujiro, they've been saying for years like it's gonna be gone because this is like the electronics shops like it's where a lot of korea's electronics were based yeah. right mm-hmm. is there like a restaurant you like in ujuro
0: um a place that i always go to is a Bakoli place called 7.8 and it's actually run by uh expat and mm-hmm. um he has an amazing selection of uh craft makgeolli and like really great bar food and you can also like sit outside like where all these like printers and like industrial parts of the um of the city is and it's in a very unassuming part as well um i definitely love going there for um ita which is Mm -hmm. you know um ita is where you first go to eat and drink and then ita I'm sure you know is um, where you go for drinks and bar food, and sometimes where you go for uh, the third round. But this is like one of my favorite Icha places to go for Icha. There's so much good food there. I think it's hard to say, but I love getting um, the baby octopuses. there, spicy baby octopus mm-hmm. with um, 감자전, um, which is potato oh, yeah. fritters, uh, very similar to Jewish uh, lat- latkes. Yeah, um,
1: yeah, I love that. I love that dish. Now, songsu. Um, Mm-hmm. What's like Songsu to me felt like Bushwick. It felt like maybe a Brooklyn neighborhood. Is that a cool neighbor? Or is it washed? Like, I, I, I don't speak Korean, so I don't know.
0: I think Songsu is the. Hippies, like the it place to go right now like the cafes are the newest it's super shiny all the most instagrammable spots are there like it's right next to Seoul Forest and Seoul Forest is so beautiful holy
1: cow it's amazing it
0: is so beautiful like I run there um, and it's you can get to the water as well it's just in a great part of town where like the, the Han River diverges into two and it's kind of in this little it's surrounded by two bodies of water and you walk in and it's also industrialized as well Like I would divide Songsu into like the more soul forest um, part of it Which is a lot of cute cafes Very um, almost like Harajuku vibes I mm-hmm. want to say um, And then more deep inside near Tuksem, um is more industrialized You, see, you still see like the uh, welders and like auto shops That are slowly getting converted into cool cafes Just like Williamsburg Just
1: like Williamsburg and Bushwick, yeah, yeah.
0: So, and I think it's the place to be. A lot of great artists also live there. So,
1: yeah, yeah definitely Seoul visit. is amazing. We're, we're talking exclusively of north of the river neighborhoods. So let's go south of the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, listener, if you stuck with us, you're interested in Korean food and culture. But I really want to dig into Seoul because it, I don't. We don't get to talk about it as much in, like, U.S. media. I feel like you only hit a few spots. It's There's a language barrier. There's just not enough focus on it. But I love Seoul so much. So mm-hmm. south of the river, I'm heading, um, we know about Gangnam, obviously. But are there neighborhoods that you recommend in the south side?
0: I used to live um, near the Socho area, which yeah. is south of the river, kind of like where it is in Gangnam. Um, but— a place that I think surprises a lot of people is Soremare, which was right next to it, and it's kind of it's really interesting because it's a community made up of French expats, and there's mm-hmm. really great French restaurants, um, places to hang out, really good organic wine bar. I think Korea is having a big organic wine um, phase right now, um, which makes sense because we're so into fermented foods. Like yeah. we love funky and um, anything with a lot of age and time um so i would say seorema definitely go check it out i am definitely a advocate for north of the river though because it has more soul and history um but still great places to eat and
1: check out thanks tina it's really cool to hear you kind of you know detail all these neighborhoods and i really recommend Visiting Seoul, hit me up on Instagram if you want more pics. I got I got a spreadsheet. Okay, you're in New York. Um, this section I want to get a sense of what you're doing in New York and what you're doing in the states. Um, do you have? Are you on vacation? Do you have work? What's 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 going what's going down here?
0: It's half and a half. I do have a couple talks here. Um, oh, cool. That I'm I'm going to UPenn Penn for a talk, and then I have something at Cooper Union um, on the 15th uh, on on Saturday. Um, so half for work half for pleasure um also to just catch up with friends and eat good food
1: want to hear a little bit about your cooking at home and you know i spotted your lazy susan that you have on 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 your cooktop or near your cooktop and it has your staples and i think it really is poignant it it strikes a chord with me about the korean staples because it's different than what we're going to have in america in some ways and i and i and you you detail this in your in one of your episodes where you you give a tour of your kitchen um you i I spotted grapeseed oil white pepper soy sauce Olive oil, kosher salt. Now, why? Like, why is it? Why are these your staples? Specifically, you're cooking with grape seed and this white pepper over black pepper.
0: Grape seed because it's really great for both hot and cold and like when i'm doing dressings and because it doesn't imbue such a heavy flavor i like to have that like clean taste Mm -hmm. um white pepper because it's so different from black pepper i prefer white pepper taste over black pepper it's a bit more pungent you don't need as much and uh, um when i'm doing a fritter or when i'm doing something fried like sometimes i just don't like seeing those like black specks in my batter um and it's just more, I would say it just mixes better also in soups. I don't know. I also grew up eating a lot of white pepper and black pepper mixes, but um, it's also easy. It's, um, the one that I have is this is, I know this is blasphemy, is pre grounded, <laughs> but it's really for like a quick, like, boof. I so mean, bitch. listen,
1: we can't all, we can't always grind our pepper. We don't always have time. And, you, <laughs> exactly. you know, and our grinders sometimes get dull. Nah,
0: exactly, not my blasphemy. point.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, I think we, white pepper is—we have a great piece about white pepper that Kathy Irway wrote, and I'll, I'll link to them in the show notes because I agree, white pepper, it's something— there's an herbaceousness that's a little different, and mm-hmm. it's just like an aesthetic choice. Mm-hmm. You don't want to see the little ants on no, your food. No, no. Um, let's talk about a recipe code you want to crack i mean you're always testing and and uh, your partner's a chef as well and and you got you did a great video about a cookie recipe that you had, you had tested with tahini which i thought was really really banging um, so what are you working on is there a recipe grail tina that you really want to crack in the next few months
0: in the next few months um I've been really getting into makoli, and makoli is a fermented rice wine drink. And I think I want to really also utilize it in my cooking. I want to, we really, really want to make a makoli bread. So using the makoli as a leavening agent instead of putting yeast um, because it has both gray yeast and mold. Um, but it is very tricky because it reacts very differently and it's just like sourdough except plus like the kombucha aspect of it so it's quite finicky and it's steamed instead of being baked as well it's super fluffy it's white and just you get that great aroma from the alcohol being evaporated as well and like the the smell is like amazing we still we haven't really cracked it just yet um we're testing and seeing like what works best but um definitely makoli bread is on my
1: list I love the, uh, using makgeolli in baking. I think it's so smart as a living agent or just as a flavor. I mean, it has like a definitely a pronounced flavor that would, you know, send your bread away from Europe and towards East Asia in a cool way, which I think is great. And then milk bread, have you done milk breads?
0: Oh, I love milk breads. Like the tangzong element of it, which is kind of making that glue so that the gluten is really well incorporated. And, you know, it's kind of, I call it the squish test. Like when you squish the bread and if it comes back up to its original shape, that's when it has passed the test. And um, I think like a lot of the times baking is um, very... Uh, it's not something that people go to Asia to eat. Like you don't think that you'll be eating pastries, but there's really, really great Asian pastries and Asian way of doing these classic French uh, baked goods that I think is very interesting as well. So if anyone's visiting Asia or Korea, like definitely try the pastries. I think that it, it'll blow your mind. I
1: agree. I think it's it's very underrated, um, especially with um, a lot of Korean pastry chefs training in Europe training in the States, and then coming back and being creative. Yes. Um, Have you been to Burrow ever? In, I have not in Brooklyn uh, a great bakery um, European centric but with um, Japanese um, inspiration okay. highly recommend Okay, right I'll, in Dumbo
0: I'm gonna write that down yeah
1: Burrow's great alright so cookbooks now, let's talk about that I, I wanna get your sense of like your future with cookbooks but first as a baseline are there cookbooks that you have around that you're uh, reaching for that you're reading for inspiration and influence we publish cookbooks here at, at Penguin Random House so I have to ask you this question
0: oh um, Um, I don't know if this is, if I can say this, but anything from Fidon, (laughs) I am absolutely love.
1: You can absolutely say this. That is definitely not our company. (laughs) No, I'm, I'm wonderful answer.
0: (laughs) Because it's so beautiful. And um, the, I think it's also like the texture of the cookbooks and just the photography and everything. um, I love using those as a reference point for the food styling aspect of it. But I like to look at both Korean cookbooks and American cookbooks both. Um, Korean cookbooks more for the technique of it. I like books that are more technique driven than really uh, instructional so that I can have more creative space when making recipes to utilize those techniques but with my own twist.
1: Absolutely. I think it's great when you can merge um, technique and style. And, you know, the U.S. books have a little different style. Are there any U.S. publishers or books that you're interested in? I don't mean publishers. I'm not trying to have you say anything nice about the building we're in. I'm I'm totally kidding. But are there authors here in the States that you really admire and books that you reach for?
0: Oh, there's so So, much. I'm putting you on the spot. No, no. Um, I love... I think food writing um, is something that I'm the most interested in. So um, I know this doesn't completely answer your question, but one of my favorite classes that I took at Cornell was a food writing class. And it was my favorite class beca- mm-hmm. um, over the food science ones because it kind of opened up the idea using food as a medium to tell stories. And I've always loved the, like, the whole storytelling aspect with food. And it's just... It's not just a nourishment, obviously. There's so much personal feeling, emotions and history and culture that surrounds it. Um, I always love to say that it's an edible piece of history. Mm -hmm. Um, MFK Fisher, obviously, for the way she writes about food and the emotional aspects of it. Um, Who else? anthony bourdain i would obviously have to say um just the whole traveling aspect of it and like utilizing culture and kind of like it makes you feel like you're in that place
1: mm-hmm.
0: um i also love eddie Huang, as mm-hmm. we uh, mentioned before
1: yeah that's great i mean I, I it's great you're reaching for some classics there some real cl- I, I think it's it's cool to get your read on on how you create using cookbooks like i think it's something that we talk about a little bit is like cookbooks as inspiration as home cooks, but also cookbooks as inspiration for creators. And what are our reference points So you're when merging both Korean and American books into your work? It's cool. OK, so for Doobie Doobop, what's next? I, I love this question because I'm really curious. Now, do you have a future in, in like broadcast or streamers or are you going to stay on YouTube?
0: I'm going to be honest. I would say no to conventional TV. I like the aspect of being the, uh, you know, being able to have everything under my control. I am a little bit of a control freak as to uh, deciding what goes out. I think I'm a bit nervous to let that be in the hands of other people. Like If I started on TV and then went on to YouTube, I think it would have been a different story. But because I've always been my own editor, I think that aspect of it is a bit scary but and also I do believe that the future is in YouTube yeah. as well for food content um we'll see if there's any like anything interesting um that you know, anyone's listening in and wants to (laughs) propose to me, I'm open arms. But for now, I'm very, very happy, like with my community on YouTube. Um, I think we'll see like in five years, maybe if I don't want to be in front of the camera and I want to be on the back end of it, like that would be really interesting to um, do. But for now, I like
1: YouTube. And (laughs) uh, uh, what about TikTok? Are you are you recutting YouTube for TikTok? Are you creating TikTok exclusive? And like, it's clearly growing. And I've been talking to my colleagues here and just at Taste and like it's really hard to compete with TikTok right now when creating. We're trying to teach our readers to cook better and cook smarter and feel comfortable. But man, we can't compete with TikTok.
0: Yeah, TikTok is a force of its own. Definitely. I started out on TikTok and then I converted over to YouTube. Um, As from a creator standpoint, I definitely prefer YouTube just because being able to um, have a revenue stream from your own videos is very empowering instead of having to rely on brands and sponsorships so definitely i've been more focused on youtube tiktok for the reach that it has and uh, like the uh, the people that you can reach I love both platforms but um and it's important to be present on both pa- platforms but it's also very difficult as a creator doing all these different things cuz I do a food blog on the side as well and I like to write and there's other things that I would like mm-hmm. to do so it depends on what kind of help I can get, I think. Yeah. For sure. It's a bandwidth issue. <laughs> yeah. It's
1: like you got to focus on a few things and do it really mm-hmm. well. Um, what about competition shows? Like, I mean, would you would you, would you you do Iron Chef? Would you do Chopped?
0: I don't know. I think, I don't know. Um, for food competition shows, I think I like watching them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I personally feel like I would just be uh, crying in a corner yeah. uh, if that were to happen. I like uh, cooking at my own pace as well yeah. so uh probably not
1: yeah i i think that's why <laughs> to stay out of the arena i know you would you would crush it and you would you would rise and win but man what a stressful thing
0: it is very stressful and i think just you know the little things i think i'd be a little bit too self-conscious to be honest but once i'm maybe if i hone my skills down a bit better and i am just more well-versed with also uh mainstream tv maybe it'll be something that i consider
1: Tina, we asked all guests in the Taste Podcast, if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or the burden of budget, meaning you have all the money in the world. I'm very interested in this answer. Tina, what would that cookbook be?
0: I would love to do a cookbook really focusing on fermentation and um, diving into the cultural aspects of Korean cuisine and how it came to be. I think that's something that really fascinates me. And if I were to also delve a little bit more deeper, I think um, because the last fifty years or the last hundred years um, in Korean history, it's been so like so much has happened. Like I say that it's a thousand years of history that's been just compressed into a hundred years. I would love to kind of um, do a book that delves into the historical aspect of Korea and how it impacted like green food that's something that i would love to do if i had unlimited time and resource yeah.
1: you answered you 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 followed the assignment because it is a huge project but <laughs> i mean even since 1980 what has happened in korea is is an absolute miracle it's called the miracle right
0: mm-hmm. the miracle Not, of the han river the han yes. river yeah. miracle
1: on the han but it's it has to be said and especially speaking with you someone who lives in korea the rise of Korean culture in America, it's amazing. And to cover that would be quite a journey.
0: It would. And I think also, um, I think the best way to put it is, I don't know if you've read Pachinko, but it's kind of like Pachinko, yeah. how it follows the different generations and the cooking aspect like and how like cooking has changed um, with the different generations. Like... If you just even go, you know, as you mentioned, to the 80s or if we go back to the 50s, like, so much has changed and, like, how Korea has gone from really, like, poor country to what it is now, there's so much to really delve into historically and see how different types of food was cooked.
1: Do you want to write a book?
0: I think I do. I used to be very anti-book because I felt like I wasn't in a position to write a book I was freshly graduated graduated from college and I've never worked in a kitchen um, so I felt uncomfortable with the idea of doing books before but now I would like it to be more of telling stories it will be story driven with recipes woven in but not necessarily uh Instructional recipe: How to make the best kimchi. Yeah, I would trust monkchi with that. Me too. Uh, yeah. Always, <laughs> Eric Kim
1: or Monji, one of the two.
0: Yes. So I would love to do one that kind of reflects me as who I am, and um, maybe in two, three years, I think I would be ready to do one.
1: Well, I hope to have you back then, or even sooner, and talk about that book, Tina Choi. Thank you for joining the Taste Podcast.
0: Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's cool to meet you in person. I've 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 checked out your your TikTok, your Instagram, some of your 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 website content, and I just love your shit.
2: It's great. Well, thank you so much. I feel like this has been a long time coming. We've been, I feel like chatting on email for yeah. a few months now and it's finally, finally happened.
1: Well, you're a busy guy because I from the jump I wanna just talk to you and acknowledge, you know, you're a you're a chef, uh, a tastemaker. You're definitely an editorial dude. You worked at BuzzFeed. Yeah. Um, you're also a model and an influencer, so I wanna, we don't have too many, we've had Chrissy Teigen in the pages of Taste, but we don't have too many models on the Taste podcast, so I just wanna know, like, what's it like balancing this really, like, passionate, hardcore interest in food and cooking with, you know, fashion?
2: Yeah, I mean, well, first, that feels weird to say outside model, I still don't feel like that title relates to me completely, but I, I, you know, I guess it's true. And it's something that has kind of happened through the growth of my platform on social media. Um, so yeah, I was basically kind of scouted online, uh, from Instagram by basically a mother agent who has been phenomenal to work with and has just been throwing different things my way that he thought would be a good fit. Um, usually, you know, I didn't think much of it. And then, Something happened with Gucci, and last year I ended up walking that show. Mm-hmm. And we kind of both sat down and were like, "Okay, maybe there could be something here. This could be, you know, an opportunity." Uh, and I enjoy it. I interest you know, it interests me. I like to like to dress well. I like clothes. Um, so yeah, have been exploring it in a lot of different ways, and have been able to work with fashion brands not just as a model as but almost as a as food talent. So uh, that's been really exciting, and kind of hoping to explore that world a bit more. Well there's clearly benefits because you get
1: to go to Italy a lot and it's a pretty great <laughs> place to, to to go for food but yeah, to be clear too you're a, you're a, you walk you're your runway you work on runways you don't necessarily always work in like the the catalog or the print um adver- advertising editorial world um So you just were in the spring 23 fashion shows. Where were you at? You were all over, right? Yeah.
2: So uh, to be clear, I didn't walk any shows. Um, I, you know, was kind of piggybacking off of a trip. I was in Ireland, actually, with Kerrygold Butter reached out and I was fortunate to go on a media trip with them.
1: Oh, sweet. Not SponCon, love Kerrygold. not
2: SponCon, but truly... what an amazing trip. We had perfect weather. We It was like a group of six or seven of us, and we went all over Ireland, and we saw a bunch of different dairy farms, stayed at some beautiful places. Went to Ballymaloo, uh Cooking School, mm-hmm. if, if you're familiar. Famous, yeah, absolutely. What a great school. Yeah, and was able to meet the team there, have a meal, tour the grounds, and it was truly eye-opening. But um, decided to just piggyback off that trip, and knowing that Milan and Paris Fashion Weeks were, were right there, I was like, okay, it could be a... Good opportunity to maybe do some networking. I had a few kind of invitations to shows and some mm-hmm. parties. Um, so, yeah, just explored that. I did do, like, two castings. Nothing kind of came about. But um, it's always good to kind of get your face in front of as many people as possible. Yeah. And, and you know, it's an excuse to go to Italy and Paris.
1: Yeah, what's that casting situation? Like, I, I know there's clearly many more women walking uh, than guys. And and it seems like uh, it's challenging to break in.
2: But what's that? what's that vibe like? it's, it's weird. Like I'm 28, so I'm like ancient compared to (laughs) most of these models. So for me, it's definitely a bit weird. Um, and you're, you're, you know, you're kind of treated like cattle. It's just, you know, in and out, but I've also had great opportunity, you know, great opportunities too, and, and good experiences. Um, but during the fashion week, it's, you know, you're a number basically. And, uh, yeah, it, it feels weird. It's not something I love, but uh, I think outside of the fashion week, you're, you know, you're sometimes able to meet one-on-one with people and, you know, develop a relationship or rapport. And if it doesn't work out that time, maybe they'll remember you for something other.
1: You Absolutely. Know. Well, they're going to remember you because of your TikTok and, and you know, some of this, these knife skills that you got, which are dope. I mean, you are really good knife skills, I have oh. to say. Like, <laughs> Thank you. A lot of folks on TikTok do not have that. Um, I certainly don't. Let's talk about going traveling for your job. Um, have you found any, or even for pleasure and for tourism, have you found any cities
2: that had like an unexpectedly cool food scene? I mean, uh, unexpected. I don't know. I mean, I feel like people and food will probably be like these aren't unexpected. Nah, man. But uh, let's I, just go there. I love Philadelphia. Okay, I think it's one of the sure. one of the best food cities in in the U.S. Um, like all of Mike Solomonov's spots. Um, yeah, there's there's so much great food there from like, you know, the barbacoa spots to Pizzeria Bianco. Um God, yeah, j- there's there's a ton Yeah, there. like all the Salomon of places. Yeah. I love I love Philly. Gotta get oh. it out. Um, I have been traveling a lot to Copenhagen and you know, I think that's obviously lauded as, you know, some of the best restaurants in the world mm-hmm. there. Um, but I, you know, I think more so the casual food scene there is is so great. The cafe scene, the bread scene. Um, you know, they have pretty much at every coffee shop is just bread, butter, and cheese. Mm -hmm. So it's these like, you know, sourdough buns with beautiful, like tangy, acidic, uh, Danish butter and Comte cheese. And it's so addicting. I had one every day I was there. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, i see another, Berlin. Berlin has a lot of, you know, great food going on. That's
1: cool. We don't talk about Berlin as a food city. We really don't.
2: Yeah. Ever. I, I mean, I'm Armenian and, you know, maybe a little tricky territory to say, but there's incredible Turkish food there. Um, and Turkish and Armenian food are very, very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, it's one of the biggest diasporas, I believe, of Turkish, the uh, Turkish community outside of Turkey. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the food there is so great. And then a lot of great wine bars. Um yeah, a lot of cool chefs uh doing doing great things there. Yeah,
1: you get to travel uh for your job and just in general a lot. It's yeah, cool.
2: Yeah, it's it's been a dream. I think this year I've traveled more than, I don't know, the past five years of my life. Yeah. It's, it's been pretty wild.
1: You, let's step back and, and talk about growing up. Uh, I know you you were born in Virginia, but you you were raised in Kentucky, Louisville. I'd love to hear about that and what was like food like in your life growing up.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So I moved to Louisville when I was five.
1: Proper <laughs> pronunciation there. I mean, obviously, you're from there, but just say it one more time. Yeah,
2: Louisville. Yeah, exactly. Uh, as one of my friends, uh, one of my dearest friends puts it, it's like kind of spaghetti is falling out of your mouth louisville (laughs) that's a general note on the
1: midwestern accent that i have kind of broken over the past 20 years but yeah the great call spaghetti o's
2: flowing from your mouth yeah absolutely um but yeah my mom is from pennsylvania dad is from virginia uh i was fortunate to grow up where my mom would cook for me and my brother fairly consistently and was you know very much adamant on having fairly healthy meals um So I was really accustomed to trying new things um, quite a lot. Uh, There was a point in my life where I got quite picky and I didn't Mm. enjoy food. And I feel like, I don't know, most people, some people, at least, I don't know, myself, go through kind of that uh, experience. But um, yeah, my dad's side of the family is Armenian. And so my dad's mom, my grandma didn't cook a ton of Armenian food, but the things that she did, she passed down to my mother and Mm -hmm. my mother would make it. So things like pilaf, things like dolma. Um, I was, you know, always, we always had that. So, uh, yeah, it was, you know, I was always experienced and always, food was always a part of my life. Um, but, you know, up until I guess, College really is when it started becoming uh, a more serious part of it. More
1: serious. Are there any Louisville uh, local spots? I mean, Ed Lee, been on the Taste Podcast, friend of mine, great chef in Louisville. There's a lot more going on than Ed Lee. Ed Lee is, is, is often
2: cited as like the Louisville chef, but what's going on in Louisville? Yeah. Um I mean there's a lot. There's a lot going on. The pop-up scene there is mm-hmm. is really big. Uh one of my favorite spots is uh Pizzeria Lupo, Pizza Lupo. Uh shout out to them. Uh, they're doing some of the the coolest food in Louisville, I think. It's all sourdough pies and a lot of great uh sides and seasonal dishes. Um yeah, that spot is is probably one of my favorite. Um I don't know. There's an incredible Vietnamese population mm-hmm. there, an incredible Vietnamese food, like Vietnam kitchen. Let's see, uh, putting
1: you on the spot, telling you, like, you know, yeah, political.
2: No, I mean, I'm I'm trying to think too. I'm, I don't know. why. Have I'm,
1: you been to Shirley Mays at all? Yes, in Smoketown. Yeah. I, I've been there a couple times. I've been to. I love Louisville. That place rules, and that place, the is- hot
2: water cornbread there is phenomenal. So yeah, that spot really, really blew my mind, and I actually lived. I don't know, probably a five-minute walk. Maybe, mm-hmm. no, maybe like a 10, 15-minute walk from mm-hmm. there. But yeah, I would go there. I've been there, I think, twice. And I love how the menu kind of changes every day. Yeah. They have different specials. But yeah, that hot water cornbread is is something like I've never had. It's, you know, rich and decadent and, yeah. and fried and and phenomenal and i
1: thought the port like the ribs there i had were were outstanding they yeah. in, i know they're smoking in the back i think but it's it's amazing place and, yeah. and ham hock too
2: yeah it's wild too because that that building has like a history in itself where yeah. you know i think smoke down was one of the first areas in louisville or in kentucky after the civil war that was like uh i guess welcomed to the the black community mm-hmm. or, or free and open um And yeah, there was like a famous jazz bar there before and then a grocery store uh, and then Shirley Mays. And it's still like a family affair there, which is so cool. Got to head to Louisville
1: again. I haven't been in a minute. You moved to New York and you worked at BuzzFeed and I'm maybe getting the timeline out of order. But you also worked at Huerta's uh, in the East Village.
2: Yeah. So Huerta's came about from BuzzFeed. So BuzzFeed was one of my (laughs) BuzzFeed (laughs) backed. Funny enough. uh, uh, Yeah. So I moved here in 2016 after school, um, got an internship at a a vice media agency called Carrot Creative, which is now Mm. now defunct, but uh, interned there for a bit, uh, ended up not getting hired. They closed down their production. I studied film, uh, was kind of focused in the digital film, digital media world. Um, and then got a job at BuzzFeed. Uh, mm-hmm. And this was right around the time they launched their Tasty Vertical. Heard of it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, back then it was, it was absolutely insane. Um, so I was fortunate to work on that vertical and started cooking a lot. So as a producer there, you're not only filming and editing the videos, you're ideating the recipes, you're actually cooking them. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's multifaceted and I loved that about the job. I loved that I was doing all these different things, but I didn't necessarily love the food that we made. Mm -hmm. Like as many people may know, tasty is like pretty much, uh, over the top, very trendy viral food, uh, food that I, to be honest, probably wouldn't share. I mean, make... Tasty invented pans and hands, basically.
1: And yeah, the viral video. I mean, the recipe video, which is now part of all food
2: media. It's crazy that you weren't there so young. Yeah, I mean, it was it was it was eye opening, and you know, we were getting, you know, hundreds of millions of views yeah. on these videos, which was absurd, and it was such a uh, yeah, an eye opening experience uh, to learn about, you know, viral content and food content and, and get that experience of what people found satisfying yeah. on the internet.
1: So let's uh, talk about Huertas then. You you end up at Huertas working the line, a great restaurant in the East Village, Spanish um, tapas and, and Spanish regional cuisine. So you're thrown into the line situation. You did not go to culinary school. What's that
2: like? Yeah, so uh, at BuzzFeed, I was really interested, got very interested in cooking It kind of surpassed my passion for film. And I wanted to potentially reach out to a chef owner to cook with. Um, and Jonah Miller, the chef owner at Huertas was read an email of mine was nice enough to let me come in and basically intern. So I'd go in after work at Buzzfeed, um, and just, you know, do some prep work. And on the weekends, maybe I'd be able to work on Jay. And I did that for about six months until I was, you know, they had an open position in the kitchen and I wasn't really happy and didn't see a lot of growth at BuzzFeed. So decided to quit BuzzFeed and and end up working at Huertas for about six months.
1: My goodness. So like, you're, you're leaving a platform that's giving you a lot of visibility to like become anonymous in the back of a house. Yeah. Were you thinking at that time that you were going to continue doing food media as you have with TikTok or were you just like, I want to cook?
2: Yeah, I really wanted to cook. I wanted to throw myself, you know, I had no professional experience. Yeah. Um, at the time I was thinking about potentially trying to open up a cafe or a spot at oh, some cool. point in my life, which is why I was really adamant about finding a chef owner. Um, but yeah, I had just had such a great time learning, you know, learning and cooking at Huertas and the team was, uh, you know, we were, we were such a, you know, it was very much camaraderie. uh it was, it was a great experience and, um, yeah, just decided to, to take it head on and, mm-hmm. and, and work the line. It What's of- a dish that you actually,
1: you all, when you walked in, you had no idea it was so complicated, but you, but when you started making it, it became clear that this was a dish that took an incredible amount of technique, an incredible amount of like thought into the sourcing. Was
2: there, is there one dish that comes to mind? just technique wise, there was one, it was just our, uh, you know, a lot of the things that prepared there, we, I wouldn't say it was simple. It was very technique driven. Um, but I would say the setas with smoked garlic, uh, we like cold smoked this garlic and then pulsed it. And then that sauce itself was just, it had so much flavor and so much depth that I thought there was a million things in there. And it was really just smoked garlic with a little bit of sherry vinegar mm-hmm. and then just per- like seared mushrooms in a little thyme And and that dish was something I would always go back to and is, you know, would always kind of crave, mm-hmm. especially, you know, the raw egg yolk in the middle. It's just, just phenomenal. I love the
1: use of raw egg yolk in, Sp- in Spanish cooking. Yeah. It's really, really, really special. Like this yeah. place, Barmut in Barcelona, used to do a raw egg carpaccio that's
2: amazing. Wow. Yeah. Sounds so good. The Spanish food is like truly the best. Yeah. Yeah. The Basque region is one of my favorite places to travel, hands down.
1: And So let's go uh, f- move forward. Uh huertas you're you're humming along but then you know tiktok enters the picture like you're you're thinking because like your videos are great like you clearly have a film background they're not like kind of they're not janky you know they're not like rough they're actually really well edited i don't mean it actually i hope you mean that it's like a positive thing like they're actually they are good videos and uh i feel like you clearly knew what you were doing when you were launching tiktok you wanted it to be really special
2: yeah so that all kind of happened during the pandemic okay um I had moved back to Kentucky and was staying with my parents uh They were gracious enough to to let me stay there um so I was cooking for dinner for them pretty much every night uh a lot of free time on my hands and was just using that just cooking mm. um and this was right when the time reels had launched
1: yeah,
2: uh, on Instagram. And basically a friend of mine, uh, we challenged each other to, to make a reel and I made a baba ganoush. And I thought it was, you know, it was just such a fun, creative outlet. It, you know, didn't take me a lot of time. Um, I didn't have to be too sacred about it. It could be a little messy and, and yeah, it was fun. Uh, and it got, more attention than a lot of my other posts at that time uh, during the pandemic I was thinking about potentially making YouTube videos Mm -hmm. but I don't know as a film as a film major uh, and having that film background I was never satisfied with anything that I shot I would just like be editing for like hours constantly and just like this is just not good enough Um, so when reels came about in TikTok I was like this is great it feels kind of like a journal entry yeah I can be a little sloppy this is you know, very fun creative outlet for me. And um, yeah, I'm able to just experiment. So it kind of all started with these dips. After Baba Ghanoush, I did, I don't know, I think like a feta dip with yogurt um, mm-hmm. and then just kept going from there. And yeah, I, would, I think once or twice a week I would just make these, and uh, slowly but surely I started growing more and more, and then branching outside of dips. That's cool. Yeah, with your hashtag dip
1: content, like, what are you thinking about? What is your goal with these with these dips? Because they are they're they're
2: they're rad. I love your dips. Yeah, I mean, for me, I like I. Initially chose dips because I felt like it was one area in cooking that didn't have a lot of rules. Like as cool. long as the outcome was like the texture is good and the taste is good. Yeah. It doesn't really matter how you get there. Yeah. And I guess it's like fat and salt. Yeah. And then you got a vessel that you got
1: to think about. But
2: yeah. That, that's about happen. it. So I would just go to the grocery store and try to find that one star ingredient and be like, okay, sweet potato. You know, how do I want to build around here? Mm. You know, what's, do I want heat? Because there's some sweetness. Okay, maybe some peppers. Okay, maybe need a little bit of acid. Um, okay, fat. Do I want it to have, you know, a, an olive oil? Or do I want, like, uh, nuts in there? Or something like that. So just kind of building it that way.
1: So when you uh, took that job at Huertas, you didn't really have a an actual, like, culinary school background. How did you learn to cook? Because clearly there was a bridge between being a college grad and working in agencies in film to, like, being good at food. So, like, how did you learn
2: to cook? By cooking a lot. Yeah, man. Right on. Just cooking a lot at home. Um, Yeah, the bug really bit me at BuzzFeed. And, you know, I was cooking almost every day there, uh, trying to experiment with content and food that I, Mm -hmm. you know, really associated with. But also at home, I was doing dinner parties for friends. Uh, Friends had little pop-ups or, or, you know, uh, businesses that wanted to do a party and I would kind of cater the food. Um, So always, always practicing that way, where I felt like I was becoming a confident home cook, but by no means what, you know, was I ready to cook at a restaurant. And that's, you know, what I learned at Huertas was, you know, how to work efficiently, how to you know, cook eight chickens, <laughs> eight chicken breasts at once. How to, yeah. You know, cook for a party of a hundred. Air
1: and, traffic control.
2: Yeah, and it was it was a completely different set of skills that I learned there. You bring up dinner parties, which mm. I think
1: is a theme. On uh, your bio, you, you quote: "You are researching dinner parties," which is cool. L- let me ask you. Okay, there was an article in New York Times that like implied that dinner parties are over. Some something something something. Yes. I don't know. Um. But Pierce, like straight up, what is the status of the dinner party in late 2020?
2: Yeah. To? So funny, my my friend Emily wrote that article and she reached out to me and she was like, yeah, the dinner party is over. Sorry, Emily. And, and she <laughs> disagree was- Disagree hard on that Yeah. One. And, and that's kind of what I said. I made that statement um, where I, I disagree. And her point was that, you know, during the pandemic, there was, you know, I guess not a lot of- uh, restaurants open people, had a lot of free time on my hands, free time on their hands. And they had their, you know, a lot of time to make their spaces feel really welcome. And they wanted to, you know, have people over and, and, and share that hospitality. And now that things are getting kind of more back into the swing of things, people mm-hmm. want their space separate. They want to be able to go out and do things. But I think the dinner party is so special. I think conversations happen, you know, at a dinner party that wouldn't happen at a restaurant table. Um, I think there's thank a, thank you. Yeah. Yes, you know, I, I think for me, it's like one of the reasons why I love cooking so much is, you know, I want to share my, my take on hospitality and, you know, I can't really do that with these cooking videos. I can't do that cooking for, you know, just my girlfriend or, you know, whatever. I, I want to host people. I like, I love the idea of being a host and it's, it's just comforting going to someone's house and, and feeling that love. Uh, and, you know, a, restaurants can do a really good job at that uh, yeah at great hospitality and great service but it's just not the same yeah
1: and you know let's back up to emily's article and i'll link to them the show notes i mean clearly we were exhausted with home cooking and i think for a certain age group and a certain you know tax bracket um when dining out is is feasible it's a great thing to do like i'm not i love going to restaurants i just i think like this like blatant statement that like the dinner party is dead is uh frustrating because to your point you don't act the same way when you're invited into someone's home. And then it allows the home cook to actually show some of their skills that they've acquired by reading taste or reading cookbooks. and and there's a real pride in making a meal for somebody. I feel like you, that's really lost um, when you go to a restaurant. You know, there's not that level of pride in hospitality. And I clearly you're a hospitality guy. You wanted to do a cafe maybe or a restaurant. It seems like that. So my question um, after that statement, and I'm sorry again, Emily, I disagree. Um, I wanna I wanna know what do you have to say about the dinner party because you're researching them like you're you're getting all this
2: information what is there to say yeah i mean p- people have been having dinner parties you know since i don't know the medieval ages probably before that yeah. um and they they're they're not going anywhere they may go in and out of of fad but again there's there's a special there's something special about dinner parties there's an atmosphere that is just not similar anywhere else um there's, there's opportunities for friendships and relationships and connections that, that wouldn't happen anywhere else. There's, uh, you know, points of view and there's discussions and debates that can be had that I feel like are just very conducive to what the environment of a dinner party is.
1: Great point. Um, I want to know about some of your go-to recipes when you're hosting in New York or if you're back in Louisville hosting there. Different spaces obviously dictate the menu. Yeah. Maybe a couple dishes that you love to bring out for a dinner party.
2: Yeah. Um I mean I always love to start with, you know, kind of some antipasto and cheese. That's you know, I want people to have food accessible as soon as they walk in the door and really? in and in a glass of wine ready if they want it to. So uh all these Castelvetrano olives, uh I love Basque cheeses, so Manchego, Idiazabal. Mm-hmm. Um Definitely some fresh anchovies, some bocarones, uh, like tinned fish for sure. Yeah. Um, so there. And then I'm a person who kind of always goes a little crazy with dinner parties. I want to have as many dishes on the table yeah. as possible. And a lot of that is based around seasonality. Um, so especially when I'm going, you know, cooking for a dinner party, I'll go to the farmer's market and build something around there. So I'll have, you know, two to three different salads, definitely a dip or two, um, and then, yeah, I think for me, I love like presentation piece. So like a whole fish. Yeah, a exactly. Whole fish. Big whole fish fan here. Yeah. Written about it a lot. I love that. Yeah. So simple. And then, you know, either a grain salad or, mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Um, one of my favorite dips to do, which is so simple and, and do an inure, is just labna, fresh turmeric and black pepper mm-hmm. uh, with just a little bit of salt. It's like it's been a showstopper for me and it's so simple and I can whip it up in, you know, five minutes and and it's just on the table.
1: Yeah. I mean, do you do you buy Labna like just as is in the grocery store or do you just double strain Greek or
2: what are you thinking? I've yeah, I've double strained it, but for me it's not it's not worth it. It's yeah. like, you know, especially in a New York apartment. Real talk. Absolutely agree. <laughs> you know, you have this, you know, huge like cheesecloth hanging from your fridge, you know, some cabinet or yeah. something and it's 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 fun to do every once in a yeah. while, but it's it's just not worth it. Yeah. You know
1: and putting so turmeric
2: and black pepper, that's it. I love yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's so a beautiful simple spread. And that fresh turmeric is just has that sweet flavor that, you know, dried turmeric doesn't have. Do you think about like
1: healthy food? Like when that word comes up, I mean your uh your profession, when you're when you are working in fashion, you know, it may require you to be extremely fit and maybe you have to eat in a way that some would call healthy i hate to use that word because healthy means many different things but i guess my question is do you have like a way of eating um i mean you're like an athlete so are you like cutting weight before photo shoots and stuff
2: like that or no i mean i i would say in general i like Everything I eat, for the most part, is healthy. Like, yeah. I, and and that is my own sense of the word. Like, I also love French fries. I eat French fries once a week. I love ice cream. I eat ice cream. I think it's all about, um, you know, the parameters that you set for yourself, how often you're eating these things, and and ensuring that you know there's a diversity in in what you're what you're eating, and you're not overeating things that you know make you feel bad. Um, but yeah, I think it's all a mix. I, I exercise, I love to cook with a ton of olive oil. Mm -hmm. Some people may say that's not healthy. Um, but no, I, I would say more so the terms around my food would be like seasonal and fresh and like local than the idea of healthy. Yeah. Well said, I like that.
1: Um, are there any cookbooks that you're really vibing with right now? Do you feel, um, are you like, linked synced up with the season with the new cookbooks or do you have
2: like some go-to older cookbooks yeah two two come to mind um Jess Demuck, uh, Salad Freak. Yeah, guest of um, the Taste Podcast. Love Jess. Yeah, she. Yeah, she's uh, great. We've we've chatted a bit online, but um, yeah, she has a very cool story too of working with Martha Stewart. But I mean, I'm obviously a huge salad fan, and I think mm-hmm. what she does in the book is great. Uh, and then uh, Andy Baragani's new book is also, yeah. you know, so fun. I think we have uh, a similar cooking style. Um, and definitely referenced a lot of his recipes in the past from Bon Appetit when I was, you know, really starting to cook, you know, early on for the first time. And, you know, he remembers specifically this one of like leeks with walnuts that it was just, I've made probably, I don't know how many times, like, and it's just so simple and so phenomenal. Yeah.
1: Andy is a great, great, great home cook and, and, and chef. And, and he's also been a guest on the Taste podcast. I'll link to both Jess and Andy's episodes in the show notes. Um, uh, Pierce, we ask all guests on the Taste podcast if you could write a cookbook or food culture book without the burden of time, meaning you have no deadline, or
2: budget, meaning you have unlimited funds, what would that cookbook be? Oh man. I mean, if if I could just write any cookbook, you know, that <laughs> right. <laughs> you know, that's a big task just to begin with. Yeah. Um, but for me, I'm I'm really interested in in connecting flavors, I think, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out. How to pair different things. So if I could really hone in around you know a massive chart of produce and fruit and vegetables and grains and kind of connect the dots between uh, different tastes and and figure out a way to form a cookbook around that so where like the end of a recipe, there's different, uh okay if you're making this you could have x y and z with yeah. it uh and just kind of jumping all around a cookbook in that way i think it'd be really fun.
1: It'd be exciting to check out are, are you are you thinking about writing a cookbook do you do you have interest and this is a hypothetical
2: question but uh yeah. the first one was but are you actually going to do it? <laughs> I i definitely have interest it's definitely on the table. Nice. Um for me it's like you know a lot of how i think about recipes now and how i cook now is very much like a diary entry. Um and a cookbook is the complete opposite of that you know you're gonna take one to two years to write it and then maybe another year for it to go to publishing so you know it needs to be something that i'm gonna still think is my food philosophy and still be relevant two or three years from now so it it's a bit overwhelming for me but yeah i'm i've been thinking about it a lot and it's something that i really want to you know uh, take on
1: awesome i look forward to that pierce abernethy thank you for joining the taste podcast yeah
2: matt it's such a pleasure